This is Serendipity in Morse Code. And this is Serendipity in my voice. So you're listening to Serendipity. Hello. Hi, Chris. This is Martin. Hi, Martin. Sorry for Sorry this about confusion. The time zone. Our clocks haven't gone back yet. What's that half an hour thing? Um, I think there's one other place in the world that has a half hour time zone. I'm not sure where it is, but yeah, I kind of like it. I mean, a lot of us sort of feel it makes us kind of special. Could you tell us where you, where you are? Actually, I'm at the bottom of a, a big cliff, and at the top of that cliff, it's called Signal Hill. At the top of the hill was where Marconi uh, received the world's first transatlantic radio signal in 1901. And do we know what he received? What he what he heard? Well. <laughs> There's debate. Um, yes, supposedly he heard uh, the letter S in Morse code, three dots. But, um, uh, well, uh, some physicists, uh, present-day physicists, have questioned whether it was actually technically possible for him to have heard that. Anyway, uh, he, he got the credit for it. And now, 116 years later, or 115 years later, you created a piece that we are going to put on serendipity. Could you could you tell me a bit about it? Sure, the Banner and Quartet. Yeah. Um, well, there's a, uh, a park in the center of the city here. Uh, it's a small city. Uh, it's not a huge park. Um, uh, but it's a really very well-used park. I mean, uh, wax people go there and... Uh, you know, take their kids and their dogs, and people just sort of lie under the trees and uh, and uh, make love or whatever whatever they want to do. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's called Bannerman Park. It's the oldest park, I think, in the city. And uh, so I made a uh, an audio piece that's set in the park. Why? Well. I've been making documentary features for broadcast, radio broadcast, for donkey's years. And um, I got interested in place-based audio, what Canada they call locative audio. I've always been interested in the, that sort of gray area between fact and fiction, you know? There's a Danish, uh, I think there's a Danish feature maker, Mads Bastrop, years ago I met, and one of the things he said always stuck with me. He always said, ah, oh, he said, the beauty of documentary and the truth of fiction. And I thought, what a curious thing to say. Because <laughs> I'd always thought of it the other way around. But the more I thought of it, I thought, ah, you know. So anyway, I've always been interested in flirting with the, the boundary between the two. Uh, then I thought, I mean, there's just, there's a, to me, there's kind of a magical kind of thing that happens when you're walking in an environment. And out of the blue, with your headphones on, out of the blue, a voice talks to you, or a sound comes. And um, it, it's quite magical. I've downloaded the app from iTunes onto my phone. I'm going to launch it now. It'll play a two-minute introduction, and then we'll take a short walk through the park. The Bannerman Quartet. Quartet. So, what brings you to the park today? 
Love, death, madness, panic, like Sam and Linda, Johnny and Iris, four characters obsessed with their little life drama. Store-bought ambition. Of course, aren't we all obsessed with our little life dramas? He's still a shit. They will sell his organs to China. He doesn't love you. Is that Kristen? You'll bump into them, Sam and the others, here in the park. Sooner or later, one of them will show up and start whispering in your ear. Christ, I thought I smelled weed earlier. Of course, they're not real. They're fictional, created by four of Newfoundland's finest writers, given voice by some of our best performers. I'm late. Where is she? Your phone, thanks to its built-in GPS, knows exactly where they are and where you are, and it'll introduce you automatically. Does he tell you you're the best part of his day? He used to tell me that. You can choose to walk along any one of their storylines on the map, or you can just stroll about and see who turns up. She remember me. Park yourself on a bench and hear what they're doing right there where you are. I call Joe. I will have no friends left. Or you can walk on and find out what fate has in store for them further along the path. I thought we'd get to make love one last time or get married. So go ahead. Slip on your headphones, pop in your earbuds, and let our four characters bend your ear. She's a ghost. They might get their stories a little tangled up. Life is like that, after all. Everyone in the park is a pedophile. Still taking it out on those weaker than himself. You want to show? Hurry! Hurry! I can feel the panic rising up. Death got no rest to it. That's always the hard part. This predicament is no place to be in. Okay, now we're going to hear a walkthrough of part of the project. If you were going to walk through the whole thing, it could probably take an hour or two. So I'll make this a shorter stroll of maybe 20 minutes or so. We'll go in from the east entrance of the park, which is close to the children's play area, and I'll walk around more or less randomly, so we'll probably bump into some character narratives already in progress. You're going to hear the sound in the walker's headphones. I think this is not my park. These are not my people. I spin boys wearing ball hats around to face me. I have no regard for their clothing, age, or height because I have lost trust in myself. The passing moments have penetrated my remainder confidence, each passing second conveying I am no longer trustworthy. Maybe I never was. The time between the monkey bars and here confirm I am a shit adult. I suck at adulting. Four minutes ago, I thought he was wearing a blue t-shirt covered in minions. Our joke, they're really earplugs. I thought he was four years old. Our belief that everything changes at five. I thought he was three feet tall. Our theory, drinking packets of vinegar will make you grow. But now I don't know what to think, because if I am right, it means that he is not on the playground. Oh, despicable me. So I touch other people's children in the hopes that they might morph into him. I even turn around a little girl with a pixie cut. Her mother fires daggers my way. I am a strange woman touching her daughter's shoulder in a park. I'm not even searching for a little girl. I am searching for a little boy. My best friend's only child. I will not tell Joanne I have lost him. I will find him. I race around the swings. I shout his name. I'm nearing hysteria. I can feel the panic rising up. My breathing is short. I can't catch it. There are quick little waves rolling against my breakwater. I brace myself for them. 
I'm scaring all the children and their parents. I am everyone's living nightmare in a blue dress and cardigan. Very large sunglasses hide my terrible eyes. I look like a responsible human, and this is worse because it suggests that responsible humans can misplace children. Harry, have you seen Harry? But these people don't know my Harry, my favored child. I love all the children, but I love this one the best. This is not spoken aloud, but understood when he crawls into my lap. He runs his fingers upward through the back of my hair. He likes to pull the short loops apart. He unfurls the curls while confessing his preschool secrets. Some children are just nicer children. Seven minutes ago. And I think this will mark my life. Every event to follow will be dated according to this moment, or the next moment, or the next. I will be trapped in a loop where I will remember what I was doing the day before I lost Harry, the week before, the month. Losing him will define me. I will talk of nothing else. I will be that mad woman on repeat. People will examine my past offenses and decide that every choice I made in life suggested this would happen. And I know instantly that I have always expected to lose them. I have resigned myself to loss. Maybe it was all the drowned fishermen, or the never-ceasing wind. Maybe it was living in constant fear of darkness, the empty cupboards every second week, the cut phone or my worried mother on the couch, Canadian country music playing in the background, the soundtrack to my father's departure. Maybe it was everything. Because I've never felt wholly deserving of Joe's friendship. I've been trying to make it up to her for a decade, trying to pay her back, keep her beside me. All my relationships run this way, impoverished at my core, permitting it to fall to shit and rebuilding. I'm not great at maintenance. I'm always getting over something. Joe says you'll get through it, you always do. Life with me is a series of events to get through. I speed past myself like angry people in cars, and I wonder if I will be okay before it is okay to wonder that, and then I'm racked with guilt to show such concern for myself this way already. I really am an asshole. It's a nice warm day, a cool breeze. The swimming pool is packed. There's a woman in big sunglasses going extra crazy, turning all the kids around like she's trying to find herself. Last Saturday, when Kristen told me that she was pregnant, there were dads in the pool with, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you call them, the toddlers. The men were my age. It was the coldest day in a hundred years. They do all these natural things, lift the kid out of the water, and the kid is delighted to be above Dad. I'm bigger than Dad. And then, forgetting Dad, to stare out past the world of the pool and lock eyes on this stranger, standing on her tree, this sad, sad piece of shit, not dressed for the cold weather or the hot. I get my clothes at the Valley Village. I'm dressed in a grey sweatshirt and, and faded jeans. That's where I saw Mrs. Goss once. She laughed and said, Don't go wild, Sam. I had an armload of grey sweatshirts and faded jeans, same as what I was wearing. That's when she asked me if I had access to salmon. Look at her now, Mrs. Goss, up by the bandstand, her hands full of flowers. My God, she's tearing up the flowers. <laughs> My neighbor's nuts. That look that kid has given me, while perched like a bird above his father's head. The kid's hand reaching out to me. A little bit of delight is what makes all the rest of parenting worth it. You can go berserk like that woman searching for a child if you get a glance like that. 
Kristen had had a kid. Everyone in the park is a pedophile. I know this cannot be true. Somewhere, logic suggests that this is not possible, but I am not logical right now. The man with the dog, the woman on the bench, the groom sneaking a secret smoke, the saddest young man in the world, they are all sexual predators. They have kidnapped him. They will sell his organs to China. He is in a trunk somewhere. My God, someone could be halfway to the ferry by now, I think. But my phone says otherwise. I know how long I have been searching because I looked away when I got the texts. Why did I do that? How could I have done that? Look away like that. Does he tell you you're the best part of his day? Twelve minutes ago. I bet he does. Eleven minutes ago. He used to tell me that. Eleven minutes ago. Best part by a long shot, he said. Ten minutes ago. I throw up a little against the gate of the new pool house. The peace accord crowd despise it. They don't feel it's meant for them, meant for us. We don't feel deserving of anything nice. It's the broken glass by the gazebo, the needles by the dugouts. It's the unlocked bathrooms and the condom wrappers. These are the things we feel ownership over. Not floating on your back, staring at the clouds in a clean swimming pool on a sunny summer day. That's for people from Ontario, someone with a grandpa and a cottage. That's for people who grew up riding horses and drinking milkshakes. Me? I can smell the bile in my nostrils. It smells of Sunday morning, of finding my wallet in the mailbox, placed there while I search frantically for my keys. I'm always freezing on the balcony in my imagination, always falling off the subway platform, swerving into oncoming traffic. It hasn't happened yet, but my certainty of it persists. It is even more likely to happen now that I have lost Harry. My accidental death is imminent. The oceans will warm, Harper will fire more scientists, and I will die as a result of my own poor choices. This, the reason I continue to smoke. Why I consider experimenting with hard drugs. Joe and I have fallen out twice in life. The first time because I had improperly installed Harry's car seat. The whole rig came forward. The second time because I ate all the salad greens. Your recklessness is costly, she said while she opened a tin of tuna. I bought a better car seat. I moved into my own place. But those were the fights. I caused them. This one will be on me, too. Ultimately, I'm a bad person. There are tiny signs to support this. I would never adopt a rescue dog or help old ladies with their bags. My house is virtually clean but rotten on the inside. I still find black hair stuck to the back of the crisper 18 months after I moved in. The lingering cat smell left behind by previous tenants, something I cannot scrub out no matter the time spent scrubbing. The knee pads my mother bought, still in plastic in the linen closet, because who needs knees if you duck out before 40? I'm late. Where is she? And there, tied around the post beneath the clock is an envelope. On a ribbon, a wedding ribbon. The envelope has my name written across it. Sam. There's a note inside. Leonard's writing. It says, check your phone. My phone is all busted up. I, dro- I dropped it on the road outside Mighty White's the other weekend. I got in- haven't gotten to the mall to get a fix, but uh, it-, it still works. It still works. There's a text from Kristen. Here, I'll read it out to you. Sam, it says... I love you, but I can't pretend Leonard is just a friend. I know this will break your heart. I've seen you talk to my duck. 
I love seeing you tell the duck things, but you never tell me those things. You planted a tree in your backyard, you're a special guy to do that, but you don't know how to talk to me, Sam. I miss being with someone who can talk to me, who can be intimate. When that happened with the baby, when I lost the baby, I knew I had to change things. I'm sorry, Sam. Mrs. Goss has just handed me a bunch of yellow flowers. She's torn them out of the garden near the bandstand. It's like she didn't even recognize me. Now she's heading after that loose dog. Is that Kristen? Walking down Military Road, Leonard's with her. His mouth wolfing on a slice of pizza. I'm paralyzed and I'm still holding the flowers in the phone with Kristen's message. I put the phone on camera and I take a picture of my own face with the flowers. It's a bizarre thing to do. But I want to see what I look like right now. Maybe my neighbor doesn't recognize me because I'm a ghost of what I was. I want to see what Kristen's message means to me. I thought we'd get to make love one last time or get married, but this this predicament is no place to be in I wanted to look Kristen in the face and give myself over the very thing she's asking for my left eye droops this guy I guess he's despondent he's the saddest looking man in the world right now what has he done or not done what does this face tell me it's a startled face holding a note with a ribbon tied to it. What a picture. I bet there's not a photo like this in any of those wedding pictures. This face is bewildered. The face of a man stunned by the repercussions of his own actions. That kid is screeching. His father's carrying him out of the pool angrily, saying, I told you we had to go. The woman with the big sunglasses is pleading on the phone. At least she's got someone on the line. And then I see this youngster who's hiding behind the building, and I know that's the kid she's looking for. The kid thinks it's a big joke, or maybe maybe he sees now he's gone too far with it. But he doesn't know what to do. So I go over to the woman. Ma'am, I say, he's over there. She lunges for him. And the toddler in his father's arms is bawling out, One last time, you're supposed to tell me when it's one last time. And I'm holding these torn up flowers from Mrs. Goss. Some still got the roots. I could plant them where I buried Kristen's dog. Or take him on a plane to Ontario. Get out of this crazy town for good, extend my reach. I have a strange thought. My arms are like the arms of a clock, and my hands have never been more than three feet away from me. Twenty-two minutes ago. I call Joe. I form words. I put them together in different orders. I mix them into explanations. I build excuses, but she doesn't hear them. She can't because she's screaming, saying everything that occurs to her, saying all the things because she can. She can take creative license in this, and she does. You're going to ruin everyone's life.
She digs into every gross piece of me with abandonment. She is a mother. I am not. She's demanding to know how it happened. What the fuck was I doing? What the fuck was I doing when I should have been watching her son? And I can't say it, but I don't have to. She guesses, and she yells that I will ruin everyone's life acting like a desperate whore. He doesn't fucking love you. I will have no friends left after this, Joe says. None. I belong in jail. She's probably right. I start to get okay with it. And that's when the saddest man in the world walks up to me, tugs on my sleeve, calls me ma'am. To him, I'm a ma'am. And I turn to this morose, sweaty creature as Joe yells for me to see a fucking doctor, and I see the minion first. Secretly, an earplug. I see him. He's in front of me. Harry. Smiling. But it's too late. I already lost him. They're already gone. You are here, I declare. Come and you watch and you wait. For time, as the old girl used to say. Never could wrap my head around what that meant. Until time was pretty much all there was. Not a bad likeness, hey, that frumpy old one across the way gunning it towards Military Road. Not a bad likeness to my old girl. Before she crossed over. Of course, you'd never catch my old girl chasing after an old dog. Let him go on, she'd say. Let him go. Free to roam. All God's creatures. Would have been around 60 by now. Yep, my old girl. Her heart, what got her. What gets us all eventually. Sweets and deep-fried slop clogging up everything. But she wasn't always that way. She used to look out for herself, walking, always on the go, minding her figure. I suppose after what happened with me, she couldn't cope so good. I ain't seen her around all the same. Come back, boy. There's a voice inside my own. I need some flowers. Need to touch the bark of a tree. Need to smell the dirt. Need the earth. Don't start up with me now. Voice over mine and through it, like cheesecloth laid out, full of holes. I'm gone cold. Goose pimples on my neck and pricking into my hair, and I got the itch all over like when you got a shit. And I know some spirit wants me, even if they're not allowed. Not now. I tell them all to leave me alone when I'm in the park. Let me rest here for ten minutes, will you? And once I pass under the gate, you can start up again with your stories, your favors, the things that still hurt you even though you're long gone from breathing. You got no more substance than drunk buddy's piss on the bark of the tree or his cigarette smoke. They respects this, the spirits. They waits for me outside the iron railing and gives me the space to think my own thoughts a few minutes before I'm theirs again. This one don't care, though, not today. He got a hold of my voice, and we're both calling to come here, boy, come here. But he don't mean the dog. I forgot the Jesus date today, and now look what I'm in for. Johnny isn't the most polite of spirits anyways, but he usually got enough sense to keep off me when I'm in here. 
unless it's today, unless I forget, it's today. Today is his. And I knows he's going to make me pay for letting it slip my mind somehow. Johnny, now let's be civil. But he never was civil, not in life and not now either. Getting his jollies off, how scared you'd be, walking home from school with him, slowly following, throwing stones against the back of your legs as you went, spitting in the ditch, a low whistle now and again, just to make your hair stand up. Inside, I can see him, inside or through myself, which sounds crazy because I know you can't see yourself without a mirror's help, but in my mind, I can see this outline of him inside me, reaching out with my hands, pulling the dark red flowers out. He's the strongest today. Come here. He wants to kill them. He's hurting him because he's nothing but pain. Feels like a, a cold thing sliming inside my skin and cold, but, but also burning. I just want a little peace, just ten minutes, where I'm only me and nothing else, but he's too angry. He's saying with my voice to come here, come here, and, and people are staring now. Why is she yelling at the flowers, they're thinking. Why is she tearing them out, big handfuls, not like my careful choosing, one from each bed, so nothing's really missing when I'm done. He's making a hole in the ground. He's got my hands working for him. He wants to go down past the roots where it's all just dirt, down deep past where the earthworms go. And I let him. It's the end of the day, and I've been scrubbing other people's houses since the morning. I got no fight to stop him, so I let him murder my flowers, dig himself a hole to try and crawl into. He never will listen. Every year when I tries to say, no ghost can bury themselves, he uses my hands to take the petals and throw them, a red rain all over the pathway. He uses my voice to laugh and call again, come here. Then words got everything else he needs to say inside. Except maybe how death got no rest to it, no change. He's still a shit with no one to fix him still taking it out on those weaker than himself. All the red ones are dead now, and I think I'm probably crying. I'm sorry, bye. I'm sorry to forget. He finally lets go of me. He knows I don't have the strength to do the things he wants. Johnny lays my body beside the mess of dirt and ruined stems. I close my eyes, Till he leaks out and leaves me to myself, flung out like sleep or epilepsy on my beautiful public park grounds. You've been listening to Serendipity, a podcast of the Sarah Awards, a project of Sarah Lawrence College and supported by KCRW's independent producer project. The piece you just heard is by the amazing Chris Brooks, and it's called The Bannerman Quartet. This podcast is produced by Martin Johnson and me, Anne Hepperman. But really this week, it was done by Martin Johnson. So thanks, Martin. Maybe I'll send you a code across the ocean. Maybe just a letter. I don't know. Anyways, you should check us out. Reach out to us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, all the things. Or, you know, send us a postcard. See some people. Listen to us. Hopefully that'll work. That'll work, right? Okay. 
Goodbye.